Welcome to the Tactical Breakdown Podcast on the Islet Network. Your number one resource for law enforcement training. Here is your host, Adam Kanakin. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Tactical Breakdown. It is an honor and a privilege to be back with you here on the podcast. It has been a long while, but we are back and we're going to be back in style coming at you with a ton of interviews from Ilita 2023 in St. Louis, from TaserCon in Las Vegas, from Force Science, and a whole bunch more. So I hope you guys are ready and strap in for just a knowledge bomb that's going to be dropped here on Tactical Breakdown. Coming up first, today's episode with my friend Todd Fletcher, one of the top firearms instructors in the world. Couldn't be more happy to sit down with him once again and share this conversation with you. Here we go. Hey guys, we're here at ILITA 2023 in St. Louis, sitting across from me, Todd Fletcher. Appreciate you being here, dude. Oh, my pleasure. I also appreciate, uh, you had me and my brother, we had range day yesterday, you kind of kicked it off at the range in the afternoon. Um, beautiful day, I mean, it was, a, it was a bit windy, but we were tucked away there, so it was great. Um, and uh, that was probably one of the most fun times I've had shooting included in the amount of information that you gave those instructors. Oh, good. You, you said something, and I'd kind of like to talk about this for a minute, um, and I found this just, it was really great when you had said, we are using the mechanism of the firearms training to really teach a course on culture and leadership. Yeah. And I, I love that so much because um, when I first ran the first ILET Summit, we, it's, Police are a very special breed of people, right? So you need to you need to find a way to get them interested and then get keep them engaged. And firearms is always an easy, hey, you wanna to go to the range and shoot? Yeah, of course I wanna to go to the range and shoot, right? But what you're doing is you're using that to bring people in and then teach them the stuff that you really wanna teach them. We had the chance to do that with ILET where we had guys like Tim Kennedy and people are like, oh, what do you do, shooting or fighting? No, he did a whole thing on situational awareness. Yeah. Right? It's kind of that same, I felt that same thing at the range yesterday because you took all these guys and you were like, this is a course of culture and leadership, right? It's not about putting holes in paper. So where did that come from and why is that so important? Well, I think it's important because one of the, one of the concerns I've had with law enforcement firearms training and the reason I started combative firearms training was because a lot of our training, we've done the same stuff the same way for 150 years, and our results for the last 150 years has sucked. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's, it, it, and our numbers, they kind of go up and down, but we have a, a hit rate in the United States and Canadian law enforcement of between 15 and 20% of uh, the rounds fired actually hit our intended target, 15 to 20%. And again, the numbers go up, the numbers go down, but it's generally going to, to land somewhere uh, over time in, in, there, in that, uh, that 15 to 20% range. And I'm like, well, there's gotta be a better way of doing this. There's gotta be a better way of doing this. And started learning more about adult learning and about how the brain processes new information and transfers the spoken word to muscle movement and the information transfer from the conscious mind to the subconscious mind and started looking at why aren't we taking all of this adult learning information that we have that we're getting, uh, that we're actually in, uh, 
putting to work in, in our field training programs, in the DT classes, emergency vehicle operations, all of these other things, but why aren't we doing that in firearms? Right? We're the knuckle-dragging Neanderthals of the training world. And so started looking at, at kind of including that information. And I realized that the reason that that hasn't been included is a cultural and leadership problem. We have a culture in law enforcement firearms training that the guy wearing the red shirt carrying the Sharpie is running the range and you do it his way, one way, right? Uh, and yet, when we get all these new people that come into our, our profession, they immediately know who the firearms instructors are. And they're looking at them to set an example, to model behavior. And what behavior have they seen them model? You know, from some guys, really good, really good role models, really good examples. And then some others have been really bad examples. They get role models that uh, belittle people, embarrass people, mock people. Uh, they're not encouraging, they're not coaches, they're not uh, leaders, teachers, uh, they're more evaluators. They're the guy who comes by and said, oh, what happened with this round? You need to slow down. Well, why don't I work at that same speed and improve my accuracy at that speed and then I'll take it to the next notch, right, the next level. Well, that's a cultural problem. It starts with how you set the culture of the range. If, if training is actually the place to experiment, to be better, why are we doing our range training, our firearms training the same way all the time and expecting our people to get better? It doesn't make any sense, so that's a cultural problem. And then it leads to that leadership issue, right? Mm -hmm. If we don't have strong leaders on the range setting good examples and setting the, the tone for this is the place to be better, this is the place to push yourself to see what you're capable of doing, being encouraging, showing people the right way to do things and being that role model, then you're never gonna have cultural change. I would add one more thing to that as well, and you mentioned this on the range, this is also the place where it's okay to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. I have a, People, people know this, I have a, my entire side is tattooed and part of it says cry in the dojo, laugh on the battlefield, right? Yeah. Old school mentality, you know, samurai mentality, but the, I, the concept is training is where we fail so that we don't fail when it actually counts. As long as you're failing safely, right? You don't want to push things to where you're unsafe. You don't want to create an unsafe training environment. Uh, but you want to, you have to be able to push yourself to failure. Because if you, if you aren't pushing yourself to failure, what do you know, how do you know what you're capable of, right? It does, it's like going to the gym and doing exactly the same workout all the time, and you'll make small improvements to a certain level, and then you just plateau, and you're not, never gonna get better after that. You've gotta constantly be pushing the boundary of what you're capable of. And so the range is the place to fail. Right? As a firearms instructor, you control that training environment. Right, mm -hmm. You're mitigating risk on how you run your range, how you set up the range. And as a firearms instructor, you control that environment. As opposed to a gunfight or a life-threatening situation that you no longer have control over. That is not the place to learn new skills. 
right. or develop better skills. Or try something for the first or time. Or try something for the first time. It is the place to do that is in training where you have a, a safe, controlled training environment, right? And it's, it's one of those things where we, we've got to create a culture where people are willing to come out on the range and push themselves to find out what their next level is. And, you know, a lot of people think I'm talking about shooting fast. That's just one component, right? Uh, if you watch officer-involved shooting videos, a lot of those officers are pressing that trigger just as fast as they possibly can. But when were they taught how to be accurate while doing that? But that's only one component. It's like uh, yesterday when we were, uh, some of the drills that we were doing that required a really high level of, of precision shooting with a handgun. Uh, we would go from a drill where you're shooting fast to a drill where I'm, I am now asking you to shoot just as pre precisely as you possibly can because we don't know what your gunfight's gonna look like, right? It may be you're gonna be shooting really fast or it may be that one shot, that one perfect shot is all you're gonna get. There's, you know, you, you take those examples and, um, and I don't remember the name of the drill, but my, the fav my favorite drill that we did was um, where it was 15 rounds, six seconds from the holster, one, two, three, four, five, six, or one, two, three, four, five. Um, which was a lot of rounds in very quick succession on three different targets. Mm -hmm. And then you move to things like the splitting a card in half, mm -hmm. right? Which is extremely precision. And you explained it great uh, to those instructors on the range. And you said, you asked them if they noticed the variance and the cadence on the drills that we were running mm -hmm. and how you went from shooting quickly to shooting, um, taking a longer time and being more precise and uh, deliberate with your firing, back up to speed, slowing things back down. And it creates this, from an adult learning perspective, it, it does a few things. One, it's because you created variance, mm -hmm. so it keeps them engaged it because does. they don't know what, they're like, oh, what's the next thing gonna be, right? Oh, I hope we go back to that fast shooting. Oh, mm -hmm. what, and then they, they're excited about it. But from an adult learning perspective, you also create a bit of that dynamic where, um, if I'm shooting fast and then I have to go back to being precise, some of that stuff that I did when we were shooting quickly, that kind of goes to the back part of my brain now, where I'm not thinking about it consciously. And now I have to, now we go back to it, now I have to deliberately pull that information back, that recall, mm -hmm. which is a critical component of learning. Yeah, it, it, so you, you have the variance, so you're not getting bored doing the same thing over and over and over. Uh, keeping people's attention, right? You, you don't wanna be, you don't want to uh, bore them to the point where they're no longer learning. They're just checked out, right? So by changing things up, uh, you're keeping their, their interest. Uh, what's next, right? So you've got that component. The, the shooting fast on the one to five drill, three targets, it's one round, two rounds, three rounds, four rounds, five rounds, less than six seconds from the holster. Most, most people, uh, if they apply the skills uh, that they already have to those those shots, those those target transitions. By the time we got to that drill, doing the bounce shooting prior to that, uh, most most people on the on the line are going to hit that six seconds, but they're intimidated by that by that par time, right? Uh, so I demo it, and I did it in like 5.7 or something like that to show them that you don't have to be fast, but you you have to be quick without being in a hurry, mm -hmm. right? And then we 
put a put a cut in the cardboard, put one of my business cards in there, and said five yard line, one round, split the playing card, right? And made it a competitive thing with their with their training partner. Mm. And so now that that skills that they applied on the one to five drill, just like you said, are in their subconscious mind. Now they're having to to think about all of the application of the fundamentals of marksmanship for that one precision shot. Mm -hmm. There was no time limit, but there was the pressure of the competitive pressure that was added to it. Five yard line instead of something close like two or three yards. Uh, that kind of added another component to it. And now we're putting all of those things about their shooting platform, how they're pressing the trigger, what their sight picture sight alignment is looking like, and how to apply those things for that one perfect shot. And I think that that playing with people's minds of transferring stuff from the subconscious mind to the conscious mind and back and forth also keeps them actively involved in their own learning process. I want to go back a step to when you talked about red shirts and Sharpies. Mm. Um, because another one of the drills that we did with that 3x5 card, uh, it was mm -hmm. a 10 by 10 drill, yeah. you call or, it? Or Dave Spaulding uh, calls it the deliberation drill. And I love, I love that name for that drill. So it's, it's 10 rounds uh, at the 10 yard line within 10 seconds. In 10 seconds. Um, and the other thing I loved about that is even after we were done shooting and we came back and we we're back together and you're debriefing on that drill, um, you were explaining to everyone, you know, like, well, I have this card and I have maybe two or three flyers where I missed, but not by a lot, right? Because no. the, the misses weren't, it's not like I sent one a foot right, right? You're missing by half an inch, an half inch. Half an inch, quarter inch. And you made a phenomenal point where you said, there's too many instructors that will look at that and say, hey, you need to slow down your shooting. Or, hey, you, like, what happened here? Right. Instead of looking at outcomes-based learning, which is in the middle of a gunfight, if my target is here, sorry for those of you who are, aren't on video if you're listening to this, but the target's here and then, but I actually put the round half an inch away from that, in reality, that's, I'd still take that in any day of the week. Oh yeah, we all and, would. And I think, I think shifting instructor focus to that outcomes-based approach where we say, we are, we're training these officers to survive these, these encounters. And when it really comes down to it, do we care that they missed by a quarter of an inch? Or should, but I mean, obviously there's, there's different components to this, but in my mind, the, the way you explained it, and I'd love for you to dive into this a bit more because I know there's some nuance to it. In the reality though, we shouldn't focus on like that being a, a failure, but identifying that if this happens in real life and that's your that's the the amount you missed that's that's still getting you home yeah and you know that that particular drill it it seems on the surface as an outcome based drill right there, you either get 10 rounds off in 10 seconds from the 10 yard line on that 3x5 card or you don't and a lot of instructors that's how they would just leave it at that mm -hmm. But there's, I think that there is, like you said, much more nuance to it. I think that a good instructor can take that particular drill and provide context. And that's what you're talking about, is when, when we're t evaluating somebody's performance on that drill, whether you successfully perform the drill or not can be, can it, I mean, you want somebody to be successful. There's no doubt about it. 
but that's just not the end all of the of the game, right? The the whole point of that drill is the aim small, hit small concept. And there are different ways to set up that drill to either make it easier or more difficult. A three by five card is a rectangle. If you put that, that card horizontally like we did yesterday to, in order to challenge a group of instructors, it is significantly more difficult than orientating that card in a vertical format, right? Uh, where it makes it significantly easier. But my whole point of that, that class yesterday was just be better. Challenge uh, the people on the range to see what they're capable of and what, what their limits are and see where they can take it from there. So we did it horizontally. But the, the whole point of that uh, aim small, hit small concept on that particular drill is if you're able to do it, Fantastic, good on you, that is awesome, keep it up, right? You put the work in to be able to do that because it's not an easy drill. Anybody can do it for four or five rounds. Maintaining that discipline and mental focus for 10 rounds is tough. Uh, but it goes beyond that. What, what did that group look like? What did that group of 10 shots, 10 individual shots, ultimately what did it look like? There, I don't think that there was, there was maybe one or two targets out there that I, that I don't recall, that you could basically, I can make a fist and cover all of those rounds on that target. Well, that provides context for that shooter. It's like, yeah, you didn't hit the card with every round, but you missed by a quarter inch here, an eighth of an inch here, and look at the overall group size. You take that in a gunfight in a heartbeat. Um, and I think that there are too many instructors that'll just leave it at that outcome based as opposed to, to providing context and make it more of a process. I had, a, I had a great conversation with Jeff Johnsgaard earlier, and we talked a bit about that. And he also said too, um, we were talking about, you know, for example, if we have a student coming in and we want them to hit the A zone and they're shooting A zone, they're going for the head, and you have that one miss, right? The human brain doesn't take into account I was successful on every single round that day. What we focus on when we leave is that one we missed. And I think it's incumbent on the instructor to be able to identify that when it happens and send those students home with the right message that, yeah. hey, you did phenomenal here today, right? We know we weren't perfect, which is, which is almost an impossible standard anyways. So now how can we make that better? See, and I think... See, that's one of the problems I have with the, the kind of the traditional approach to, to law enforcement uh, firearms training is that most instructors will come up to your target and say, hey, why is, what happened here? Ignoring, you know, the 100 rounds that, that were absolutely in the correct area of the target, nice small area of the target, uh, and you have one round that's out and they're focused on that, what happened here? Oh, you need to slow down. And if your response is, well, I was pushing myself to be faster to see where it started to fall apart, well, then you need to slow down. No, they don't need to slow down. They need to continue training at that faster pace until they can keep those rounds in the A zone, right? Uh, it, once again, it goes right back to the analogy of working out. If you're going to do it the same way, you're never going be, to get better than a certain certain level of performance. But if we are continuously pushing ourselves to perform to a higher and higher standard, then all of a sudden we can maintain that incredible uh, level of accuracy at speed. Mm. The idea that, that it's either speed or accuracy is a fallacy. Mm. 
it can be both speed and accuracy, but you gotta train it. You can't, it doesn't just happen. We can't, we can't teach new shooters to, to just be accurate and leave it at that for the rest of their career. We've gotta teach them to be accurate and then start adding time duress to get them to apply those fundamentals uh, under time duress, like they would be in a gunfight, and do it faster and more accurately, and faster and more accurately. It's a, it's a process. You, you can't do, we can't do any, any more of this one or the other thing. We've got to teach them how to shoot well quickly. Because if, I mean, watch most of these officer-involved shooting videos. If they're firing multiple rounds, how fast are they pressing the trigger? Mm. And when did they have an opportunity on the range to learn how to do that accurately? That's what we need to do. We need to take, take what they're already going to be doing and teach them how to do it to a high degree of performance so that they have a, they have a better opportunity to prevail out on the street. Mm. Oh, you know, you, one of my favorite things, and I, this was right at the beginning of the day, um, and I'm not sure if this is exactly how you phrased it, but what I took away from it was um, you had, you'd given that analogy of we know officers and officer-involved shootings, when they fire multiple rounds, it's done in rapid succession. Mm -hmm. How many of you train your officers to shoot as fast as they can accurately? Right. Obviously, nobody put their hands up because we don't do it. Right. But we know that that's the reality of what happens. And it's, 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 it seems so fundamental, like just it seemed so obvious when you said it. If this is we know what's happening and no one's training it, Why are we training? it makes no sense. Yeah, we're not giving them the tools they need to be successful. Let's provide them with those tools to be fast and accurate. You know, and, and the bottom line is, is we, we need to train them up to that subconscious level of competency because they're in a gunfight, there's too much going on for their conscious mind to be thinking about shooting platform, there's my, my dot on the target, there, or my, this is what my sight picture looks like, and ha pressing the trigger straight to the rear, right? We need to, we need to uh, get those skills down solidly at the subconscious level so that their conscious mind can be tied up with the real important stuff like threat assessment, mm -hmm. decision making, those types of things. Uh, and if we're, not, if we're not drilling those skills down into the subconscious mind and training, then we've got a problem. Because now they're going to be doing it without any skill application. It'll be more like pressing the trigger fast to make them feel good. Right, and you know, that, I think that's, that was one of the things I didn't get a chance to ask you on the range because obviously there was a lot more people there that, that they needed your attention than me because uh, I get you to do stuff like this so <laughs> I can get you whenever I want. But uh, uh, I wanted to ask you, there, how as an instructor, because when you start doing things like shooting rapidly or doing those types of drills, it, it almost becomes, it could become kind of a, a gamification or an entertainment value mm -hmm. for that student, right? Because they're like, oh, yeah. look what I got to do. And, and they get away from the fact that I'm trying to learn and be better at a skill, then this is fun, I get to shoot really fast. Yeah. How do you, how, what advice would you give instructors to make sure that they don't um, let it kind of slide into that realm? Well, I, you know, I, I think that there's really not a, I don't know that there's a big problem with letting it slide into that realm temporarily, mm -hmm. right? Make it fun. Let them make a game of it. In fact, you know, that was last year's. Right. Uh, well, a last couple years ago. Yeah, right? two years ago. Uh, yes. Let the games yeah. begin or something yeah. like that. I can't remember what it was. But, um, but let it be fun. 
make it make that range training enjoyable. Mm. There's no reason why going out to the to the firearms training is should shouldn't be enjoyable. Matter of fact, most good shooters really do enjoy it. Unfortunately, we go back to the culture thing. There are a lot of officers they get physically ill on their way to to, to range training because of of the culture of the way that they've been treated, the way that they've been embarrassed, belittled, singled out, mocked, uh, and that's created a really bad culture. But if we can make firearms training enjoyable for them, if we can turn it into a game and then reel them back in with context, right? This is the application of this in our jobs. This is the application of it uh, out on the street in your gunfight. Uh, if we can put that context to it by, you know, during a debrief of a drill, as an example, and yet the drill is still fun, uh, I think that there's, I don't know that there's a big problem with gamification if, we, if we're capturing their attention and desire to train. And, and that also brings up another conversation about the confidence-competence mm -hmm. discussion, right? Yeah. Where if, if they're, say they are doing it and they're like finding it really enjoyable and they're not consciously thinking of the learning component to it, but they're still becoming successful, and then an instructor's trained on debriefing that correctly, mm -hmm. and then that student walks away and you you empower them to understand that, hey, listen, this is the context of this. So if this does happen, you know that you have the skill set for this. And it, you increase their confidence, which allows them to now apply what they've just learned and increases their confidence. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, and it's, it's a, uh, I mean, it's just a cycle of confidence and confidence. The better you are at something, the more likely you are to continue practicing it, right? The uh, more likely you are to continue as continue practicing it, the more confident you're going to be in your ability to apply those skills. And so, you know, there, there is a reason why good shooters enjoy firearms training, mm. right? Because, because they're confident that they're going to perform well and they enjoy uh, learning, you know, taking their skills to the next level and gaining more competency. Uh, and if we, if we can just get uh, that kind of buy-in from our new shooters or our, our struggling shooters, uh, then if, if they're enjoying that training and they're having fun with it, their competence is gonna increase. Once they, their competence increases, they're like, okay, this is good. I feel better about myself when I'm out here. And now all of a sudden we've captured them, right? They, they enjoy coming out to the range. They keep getting better. That keeps building their confidence. Uh, and it's, it's, it's good for everybody. You know, there's one other thing that you said, um, and I, I, I cycle back to, I remember Brian Willis um, had said this in a course that I had taken like years and years ago, and he basically said, yeah, it was a DT course, it was, and it was, he said, you're not here to show them what you can do, you're here to show them what they can do. Mm -hmm. You said a variation of that on the range with these instructors, um, and the, the question, it was, it was centered around um, demonstrations, instructors oh, yeah. doing demonstrations right? Yeah. That's what I w immediately went back to. And there's a level of competence that needs to be demonstrated by an instructor, mm -hmm. but you also shouldn't be under this, this belief that I, as an instructor, I have to be the best shooter on the range. Because that's cares. probably not going to happen. And it's probably Nobody not going to happen. Yeah. You know, the, the whole idea of doing demonstrations is to give your students behavior to model, right? Uh, 
was reading an article a, a while back, and I can't remember what magazine it was in or what journal it was in, but they were talking about mirror neurons in our brains. And these mirror neurons are responsible for mimicking behavior, right? And they kick in like at birth. And, you know, small infants and children, they first learn to do things through by mimicking others, imitating others. And so these mirror neurons, they're a powerful source of learning. So people get an opportunity to, to hear how the drill's gonna run, they see you demonstrate the drill, and now they're going to, to try to replicate the behavior that they just modeled, uh, partly using mirror neurons and some other things, but, but it's a powerful way of learning. And there are, there are still instructors that refuse to do demo demonstrations on the range. They don't even wear a gun when they're out on the range. Well, what they're doing is just shortchanging their students. It, they think that doing demos is about them, right? Doing demos is about their students. They're not about the instructor. Mm -hmm. Conversely, there are several instructors out there, and I've been to the, some of their classes, that the entire class is them about doing watching them shoot. Right. Right? And that's not why, that's not why I'm paying you to to teach me to be better, right? Um, so you, as an instructor, I, I truly believe that you have to do demos. Uh, there are some drills that you just have to demo. There's other things that you don't need to demo. Uh, like you don't need to watch me shoot a one hole drill to begin a class, right? right? Uh, and so, but when we did the one to five drill, I did the one to five drill, everybody else had already been shooting. Mm. I did it cold. And so I think that, uh, it has more of a lasting impression on people when they when you say, "Hey, this is 15 rounds, three targets, six seconds or less, uh, and here's what it looks like, right?" And they watch you do it. You're successful doing it. I I was pushing it right up there about that six second mark. I was shooting for as close to six seconds without breaking six seconds as I could, uh, and I. I did it smoothly without being in a hurry. So it gave them the opportunity to model that behavior. Now, if I would have gone up there and, and done it at my speed, it may have been impressive to somebody, but they can't model that, right. necessarily model that behavior at that speed yet. You know, they may after a time or two through it, but they need to be able to, to take that demonstration and apply it to their performance. So when you do demos, it's about the student. It's not about the instructor. It's not about the instructor's ego. Uh, it's not about anything other than helping that student learn. <laughs> Something happened on that drill where you ended up you ended up putting some bad rounds in your mag. That oh, you, that was a di that was a different. Drill. Or but yeah. you you picked them up. You end up having two stoppages, and in the demo, and most instructors that I've seen in the past would be like, okay, I'm just going to run that again. Yeah. There was no need to run it again. No, not that particular and, and, drill. And you, but it was, I loved how you addressed it because you have a room full of instructors and you said, listen, this stuff happens and it's okay. Yeah. And what you said is you have to own it. Yeah, own it. You know, most of the time, like if it's a drill, uh, you know, in those two rounds, they were light primer strikes on somebody else's ammo and I just threw them in my magazine to see if they'd run and they didn't. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, when it comes to, to, to doing certain, demoing of certain drills, right? There are certain drills that if I, if I screw it up, absolutely gonna do it again. You just own it 100%, whether you do it again or not, just own it, uh, because nobody's gonna be perfect. Uh, it's, just a, it's just the way it is, right? But you own it, 
and there, but there are some drills that you do absolutely want to run because, once again because you're trying to give them behavior to model, mm -hmm. right? If something uh, weird would have happened, let's say that my optic would have flown off the top of my gun or something like that, uh, yeah, I, I get it repaired, do it again because then nobody would have gotten the opportunity to see the behavior that we right. want them to model. Uh, but that particular drill really, I can't even remember which drill that was, um, but that particular drill didn't even, it didn't need to be done uh, because they saw everything all the way through and it was good to go. So, you know, you just gotta kind of pick and choose, but there are also some drills that you, you're not gonna demo just because of the nature of the drill. Once again, nobody needs to see me come out and shoot a one hole drill when you're gonna see me shoot some, somewhere else. Right. And you know, as an instructor, especially an instructor doing a class for other instructors, which is what we specialize in, the folks that attend our classes, they wanna know if I can shoot, right? They wanna know if Crystal has the skills to be the instructor. So we'll do those demos for credibility mm -hmm. and to let them uh, model the behavior. But once they've seen us shoot and they're like, okay, you know, you have that level of skill that makes you credible for, for being the instructor on this class. Once they see that, really, they don't care. They don't care that you can run a drill in, you know, four seconds less than, than they can. They don't care. It's not why they're there. They're there to try to improve to get to that, get to that right. level of skill. So, uh, one thing that you did touch on for the instructors there um, was you kind of challenged them to go out and take a look at competitive shooting. Mm -hmm. Um, what in your mind is the benefit of not and not just instructors law enforcement officers in general yeah what is the benefit that you see that comes from doing things like IPSC and other things like that you know the the real big benefit is is doing running a course of fire under time duress in front of other people mm. right for instructors it's invaluable because if you're gonna do demos in front of your peers or like what we specialize in, which is a much higher skill level than in-service training, we're doing demos in front of other firearms instructors. And a lot, almost all of those drills that we demo are gonna be under some sort of time duress on a shot clock, right, shot timer. So when you, when you shoot IPSC, USPSA, IDPA, three gun, whatever, whatever the discipline is that you enjoy doing, you're doing it on the clock in front of other people. Mm -hmm. They're gonna be watching your performance, they're gonna be taping, taping targets and helping score targets, right? And they're gonna be doing the same thing. And everybody's gonna be learning from one another. If you watch me run a course of fire, you watch me run a stage, you're like, oh, I really like what he did there, I'm gonna change my, my stage plan and then incorporate what I did into your stage plan. Or <laughs> conversely, when people, some people watch me and they're like, okay, I saw what you did, I ain't doing that. <laughs> <laughs> that did not work. So, but, uh, but that is uh, you know, performance under time duress. And that, that is key. But there, there's other things too. Uh, IPSC, USPSA, 3GUN, IDPA, they're gonna challenge your skill set. You're gonna have shots that are really fast and on multiple targets that are pretty close. And then you're going to have to slow down and shoot from an awkward position, a very, you know, maybe a pair of precision shots at a distant target that may also be swinging, be a pop-up target, be a moving target. Well, 
one of the things that, that I challenge people when I can drive to a class, you know, I'll bring some moving targets, like swinging targets. And I'll hide the swinging target behind a, a stack of barrels and it swings out and it looks like somebody pying out from cover and going back. And a lot of law enforcement agencies, I said, where's your swinging targets? Where's your pop-up targets? Where, where are your moving targets that you train on? And they look at me like, well, we don't have it. Well, what moving target type of training do you do? Right? There's, there's case law going back to like Popov versus Margate in the United States that says these things are, uh, are easily predicted that law enforcement's gonna uh, be required to perform under these conditions. Moving targets, uh, threat assessment, shooting in crowded areas, those types of things that uh, officers need to train on. Otherwise you risk a fair to train type of, type of lawsuit. And there are other things that agencies do, like uh, like Vertra, Milo, force-on-force uh, -force training that may satisfy those things. But why aren't we inc including that in our range training? So when it comes to IPSC, USPSA, IDPA, uh, even, even small weekend club-level matches are going to have those kinds of targets available for you to practice on. You never, ever think of it as tactics. Never think of it as tactical training, right? That's not what the games are about. Uh, it is a timed sport, right? But really, if you think of force-on-force -force training, is kind of also a game, mm -hmm. especially to people that, that have done it a lot, right? It's a game where I'm gonna get you before you get me, mm -hmm. right? There's no expectation of death or serious physical injury, right? There isn't a gunfight. So force-on-force -force training is a good thing, don't get me wrong, but so is playing the games, learning how to perform under time duress, shoot from awkward positions, shoot while moving, um, all, of these, all of these skills that may uh, help you in your gunfight, but will absolutely make you a, a higher level performing shooter. You know, it's funny, I, I, uh, what you just said there, I draw the same comparison to things like jujitsu, mm -hmm. where people will be like, well, that's sport jujitsu. That has no relevance in the street. And you're like, you're missing the boat here, fella. Like, yeah. this, the, being able to physically control somebody, it, sure, are we going to be wearing different things? Yes, am I going to have a do yep. All that. But the fundamentals of the positions and the body control and the leverage. positioning and leverage, and that is all, it's all the same. Yeah. And so is it 100% like carbon copy of what's going to happen in the street? No. No. Of course not. There's almost zero training that we do that's a carbon copy of what happens yeah. in the street. But it gives you a great foundation. And, I, and when you started talking about you know, the competitive shooting side, that's the same thing for the firearms. Mm -hmm. It gives you a foundational knowledge on how to do things in, under certain types of duress and circumstance. When I, start, when I started first uh, shooting competitively, uh, I was... At the time, I was, I, I would say, probably one of the top three to five shooters in my department. Uh, and I felt pretty good about myself. Then I went out and shot with a group of, of shooters, uh, many of which were significantly older than me. And I remember one of my first USPSA matches where a gentleman named Tom Allen, uh, who became a, a good friend of mine and kind of a mentor in the competitive shooting uh, arena, he is exactly 24 years older than I am. And he laid waste to me at that match. It was awful. 
uh, because he understood how to play the game. Right. But in addition to that, the application of his skills was way better than mine. We could sit there and plug holes in targets uh, you know, on a static range, and if you came, about, came around and watched us shoot and evaluated our targets, you would say, yeah, you guys are about the same skill level. Uh, until you were under time duress, doing it while moving, with moving targets, multiple targets, reloading, and all those other things that you need to do. He laid waste to me. Now, I fast forward uh, through my first ventures into USPSA and IDPA, then into 3-Gun, and uh, now pretty much specializing in USPSA and IDPA type shooting. Uh, now, my skills are so much better, so much higher than they were when I thought I was doing pretty well as one of the top three to five guys in my department. Uh, now, uh, I, I actually have sponsors that, that I billboard for them in my, my shirts and carry their guns and their holsters and uh, got to that level of skill because of sticking with USPSA and IDPA type shooting. It, there's no doubt in my mind that it'll make you a better gunfighter in a law enforcement, private security or military setting. There's no doubt in my mind. You just can't think of it as tactics. You want tactical training, go to tactical training. Mm -hmm. You want to improve your, your existing firearm skill level, start competitive shooting. For crying out loud, I know most people that are, that are listening or watching this are not going to do it, but if you're not going to do that, then do some dry fire. And you can set up all of these different courses in your home, in your living room, in your office, in your backyard, and you could dry fire a lot of these courses without spending the time and, and money to go to the range. Uh, but most people aren't going to do that either. So no, that's very, very, very you, true. You got to put the you got to put the time in once you get to a certain level. I do have one last question for you, brother. Yeah. You're now an Ilita advisory board member. Mm -hmm. um, you've been. A, Huge support. I think I don't think there's anybody who drives more new Ilita membership than you. I think I don't think I don't think that it's even close. Why is it so critically important for instructors, specifically in law enforcement, to be a part of Ilita in an organization like this? Oh man, I I could drone on for hours on this topic, but uh, uh, let me keep it. Let me bullet point it. Number one, Ilita is filled with people that are looking for a better way of doing things. Right? Uh, what is a better way of delivering the information? What is a better uh, way of, of well, what's, what's a way to improve retention and recall? What, how do I improve my skills as, as an instructor? How do I improve my, my skills as a, as a student of, of, you know, as a firearm student or a DT student or whatever that may be? You are filled with people looking for the next best way. And so a lot of that uh, is born here at the IOLITA conference. So that, that's one reason. Uh, the other reason is, as an instructor, you don't always get an opportunity to be a student, mm -hmm. right? And so coming to IOLITA, being an IOLITA member, just being an IOLITA member, even if you're not attending the conference, allows you the opportunity to be a student. You know, through the digest, the newsletters, the journal, those types of things. And, and I lead a live and some of, of these other things that we've got going on. But then you add coming to the conference, 
uh, and you can be a student starting on Sunday evening and going through Saturday. Uh, you, can be a, you can be a student of the game once again, and it, it just rekindles your passion for what we do. It rekindles your enthusiasm and energy for, for the game. You know, if we continue to do the same crap that we've always done, we're going to continue down this path that we're, that we're down, going down. We've got to demand more of ourselves, and this is where to do that. We've got to demand more of our of our the people that we trained, but we've but we've got to set those uh, realistic expectations and understand what they're capable of before we have those expectations. Mm-hmm. And this is where we can kind of figure that stuff out because you're surrounded by people that have been there, done that, failed along the way, and had successes along the way. And we call learn from one another. We don't all have to reinvent the wheel, right? And this is the place to find that information out. Uh, I think that a law enforcement trainer, instructor, who isn't a member of ILEDA is missing a huge opportunity to make themselves and their students better. Well, at the end of the day, isn't that what we're trying to do anyways? Man, I hope so. Right? Listen, brother, I appreciate you taking the time, as always. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you next year. I appreciate it. Join the ILET network now. Go to ILET.network. That's I-L-E-T dot network.